Hey, welcome to episode number eight of the Daniel Floyd Leadership Podcast, where we are all about inspiring leaders to become more. I couldn't be more excited to share with you today's episode as we get to hear from leadership expert, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, John Gordon. If you're not familiar with John, his life mission is to inspire and empower others through positive thinking. You're going to hear that. You're going to feel that in the way he communicates. But this isn't the fluffy self-help version. John believes he lives and he teaches the transformative power of faith and optimism that doesn't turn a blind eye to challenges, but it produces the grit to overcome them. I think today you're not only going to be inspired, but empowered to become a better leader and build a stronger, more resilient team. And as always, if you'll rate, review, share with a friend, or even leave a comment, we would so appreciate it. It helps so much. And if you want show notes and discussion guides with every episode, as well as some exclusive leadership content we create sent straight to your inbox, head over to danielfloyd.org. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hey, welcome everyone to the podcast today. I'm so incredibly excited to have John Gordon as our guest today. If you're not familiar with him, I don't know where you've been living, but he is a leadership expert. He's an author, a keynote speaker. He's worked with Fortune 500 companies, universities, nonprofits, college sports team. He's a best-selling author. There's not a lot that this guy hasn't done, and you're going to want to get your pen and paper out today. I promise you, you're going to engage this conversation. John, so glad to have you on the podcast today. Daniel, great to be with you. Yeah, honored. I first met John in a uh, wonderful dinner in the mountains of Colorado at a ski resort, and uh, we had a fantastic conversation. And after that, I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast. I want to jump right in. As a keynote speaker, best-selling author, you've served some of the biggest names in business, and we may get into that a little bit, but Sean McVay, obviously Super Bowl champions, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson, um, nonprofits, your power of positivity has made its way into schools. You've had massive influence, and that's what leadership really is at the end of the day. Your mission is this, to inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time. Talk to us about when that developed in you and what were some of the first steps towards that? I guess you would call it your life mission. Is that true? Yes. It occurred when my wife threatened to leave me because I was so (laughs) miserable and so negative. And my life was not the life that I had envisioned. I was not living with purpose. I didn't have a mission. And I remember being on my hands and knees and I was literally saying, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I so miserable? I know there's something for me to do. And writing and speaking came to me during that time. Like, you're going to write and speak. I don't know how, I don't know why, but clearly this was something I was meant to do because I've written 26 books since 2007. So since that time, I finally surrendered. And I also was miserable because I was trying to chase success. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be like this if this is what life is about, right? I I want to make my life about others. I don't want to focus on myself because I'm miserable focusing on myself. I want to be used. I want to serve. I want to make a difference. So I made a decision to make my life about others and serving others 
and surrendering. And I would wake up like every day saying, God, use me for your purpose. Guide me towards my purpose. God, make me a vehicle and an instrument for your joy, your peace, your mission. Have me help those you want me to help. Have me serve those who you want me to serve. Out of the blue, I'd get a text. I'd get an email from someone asking for help. And that went back to the one person at a time because I always wanted to make a difference for that one person who needed it. Now, Andy Stanley says, you know, that do that, which, you know, do for one, that which you wish you could do for everyone. So yeah, you can't help everyone. And I realize that now, like as I've grown more and more of as more people reading my books and it's, it's hard to help everyone. But when you see that message come in and you know, I'm supposed to respond to that person and help that person or get on a call with her son because her son is struggling, then you, you answer the call of God and you make time one person at a time. But if anyone reaches out to me who's struggling, not wanting advice through how to write a book, but they really are struggling and need some encouragement, I'm responding, I'm there. That's, that's the call, right? I'm not here to help yeah. you with your business. You got to pay for that. I'm not here to, to help you, <laughs> with, you know, with, with, your, with your book. But if you have a challenge in your life and you have a, a suicidal teenager, I'll be there to help. That's so great. So talk to us a little bit about, I would use the word revelation, realization. You had that moment. I'm, I'm miserable. I'm negative. My marriage is not looking great. And I'm going to be about other people. What, what were the steps? Because I think sometimes people can have grand dreams and they don't start because they don't know where to start. So for me, it started with my family. First, I had to serve them. I had to be there for them. I had to put more time and energy into them. I had to make an investment in my kids, an investment in my marriage. Instead of being a consumer, I had to be an investor. So I started to invest in them. That is where it changed first and foremost. Then it was in myself, feeding myself, walking and practicing gratitude, praying every day. So I would take these walks of gratitude. I call them thank you walks. And while I was walking, I would say what I'm thankful for. And the research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So these walks of gratitude were powerful. I felt different after them. I'm rewiring my brain from negative to positive. And also Mm -hmm. on these walks, I'm now praying. And I'm praying and I'm surrendering. And I'm saying, God, I trust in you, God. I trust in your plan for me. I'm literally walking saying I trust and surrender and prayer and God's changing me from the inside out by doing that. I am tuning into him. I am open to him. I am Mm -hmm. receiving him. I get back to my office, back to my desk, create a fertile mind that is ready for great things to happen. It looked like starting a newsletter where initially I had five subscribers, my mother, my brother, my best (laughs) friend from college. That's a true story. I write this newsletter and I have some people that I just start putting on there that are getting the email. And I now am emailing every week a positive tip, ways to enhance your energy, how to be more positive. Now, at this time, I'm not a Christian. So I'm just sending out tips and ideas and ways to help people improve. And it starts to grow. People start to read it. People start to share it. So that starts happening by serving others and sharing these tips, the things that I'm doing to get better, to be mentally stronger, to help with resilience, to help with positivity, I'm now sharing with others and they're benefiting from it. So I'm gonna go, I'm like, okay, there's something here. There's something that can help them. So that 
is what it looked like for that. And then it looked like, okay, after I write the book, The Energy Bus, I go on a tour around the country and I go to 28 cities and there's five people in one city, 10 people in another, 20 in another. The, the most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming, the race car driver. That's why they showed <laughs> up. And that's a true story as well. And I get back from that tour and it was like, you know what? You said one person at a time. So now you had that opportunity to impact one person at a time. And God was molding and shaping me to be someone who would, again, serve others. I wasn't getting the limelight. I wasn't getting the recognition. It was hard going from city to city, but it was really about doing that work. And I remember that all the time. Like I think about that all the time, no matter how big the audience is, I remember those moments of doing that. And I know God was shaping me in that way. So that's what it looked like. It was a intentional decision looking to serve one person at a time and looking for ways to impact as many people as possible doing both. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's purpose. And then there's, you got to start a process. Speaking of your newsletter, I read one in uh, preparing for our time together. And I love the story you tell about your grandfather and how the reason you took on the Gordon name, that Gordon isn't your biological father's last name, it's your mother's last name, and how he was shot in the war, recovered, went back to war. And you had this like epiphany moment of if he hadn't survived, there would be no John Gordon. And so God must have you here for a reason. I love that that thought. And that's purpose, right? That's purpose. And I believe that's the case for everyone. Yes, we took on our mom's maiden name, our, our biological father left when we were a year old. And so, oh no, when I was a year old, my brother was actually four. And so years later after college, we carried on our, our mom's maiden name. My brother did it first and then I did it. I always say commitment recognizes commitment and it recognizes a lack of commitment. So I want to recognize the commitment of my grandparents who were so involved in my life and also in my mom and carrying on that name. And I proudly, you know, have the Gordon name and my brother does as well. But yes, I believe for everyone, like you're here for a reason and you're not an accident. And scientists have tried to calculate the odds of our existence. And if you think about all your ancestors and how they had to get together to do what they had to do to have the offspring <laughs> and then all their offspring had to get together to, to do what they had to do to have more offspring. Eventually it comes down to you and your parents and they had to get together and all the sperm, don't want to get too technical, and the egg right. that had to finally meet, that becomes you. Scientists say the odds are basically taking 2 million die. They're trillion-sided dice. And you roll them, and they all come out to the same number. Like, that is the odds of your existence. Wow. It's, basically, it's basically zero, which mm -hmm. means that you are a miracle. And I am a miracle. And we are here for a reason. Daniel, the other day, this. the other day I was talking to a young man who was suicidal, 16 years old, doubting the existence of God. I knew his mom in high school. I was back home speaking to my old high school that I went to, to all the students on mental health. So I'm there. This young man doesn't go to that school, but I, I know her really well. And I'm hearing how he's really struggling from another friend. I said, we got we to gotta, we gotta talk to her. We got to talk to him. 
They're like, you think you can help him? I said, I really would love to talk to him. Kept asking. They were like, well, don't know if he really wants to talk to anybody. Don't know if he wants to talk to you. I'm like, I'm telling you, just give me 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes. Finally, he said, okay. Went over there. I knew I was supposed to go over there. Sat down with him. He was in the ER a few days before. And I, and I wow. said to him, are you an accident? He said, no, I'm not an accident. I said, if you don't believe in God and you just believe in evolution, then this is all accidental. This is just randomness and you're an accident. And so am I. So we're just accidents. He goes, well, I'm not an accident. I go, do you have a purpose? He said, yeah, I have a purpose. I said, well, if this is all randomness and just accidental evolution, then there would be no purpose. There would be no meaning. I said, you have a purpose because you're not an accident and you were created on purpose for a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And I left and he was no longer suicidal. It was incredible to see the shift, see the perspective. We Mm -hmm. also talked about more than that. We talked about high state of mind, low state of mind, ways to clear the clutter, where negative thoughts come from. They don't come from him. I shared with him all the messages I share in the garden and the garden is a really powerful book about two teenagers struggling with fear, stress, and anxiety. It's how they're losing the battle of their mind. And I teach them the way God teaches us how to win the battle of our mind, of our heart, of our soul. And I shared those lessons with him and shifted everything. But we're not an accident and we're here for a reason. The name of your podcast, which I'm a subscriber to, I think everyone should subscribe to, is the Positive University Podcast. And you're just talking about mindset, about positivity, how you're a negative person, and you begin to shift that. By the way, if you're a note taker, you should be writing down gratitude walks. I love that idea. That is such a powerful. You can't live negative and pessimistic if you're starting your day with a gratitude walk. What a powerful thought. Would you define what is positive leadership? Talk about the power of mindset. How would you define it? And then how does that impact? You know, because we have people that... They're leading in church. They're leading in business life. They may be a a mom at home leading on the home front. I think this applies everywhere. It really does. And positive leadership applies for everyone. And ultimately, it's about positivity and it's about leadership, combining the two. This is not about Pollyanna positive. It's not about seeing the world Mm -hmm. through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. It's not about ignoring reality. It's about maintaining optimism, belief, and faith in order to create a better reality. And it's not about sugarcoating the situation. It's knowing, okay, this is hard. This is tough. This is a challenge. But we're not going to allow negativity to sour it. So there's a lot of misconceptions around positive leadership. That's my expertise. My core expertise in the business world and also just I would say in my career journey is positive leadership. Helping leaders become better leaders and how to build stronger teams. That's what I do, right? Sean McVay and Clemson football and all these corporate leaders I get to work with. I just spoke to In-N-Out Burger and all of their leaders. I just was with Truist Bank. Truist Bank is major bank in the US and working mm-hmm. with their top leaders. Snapchat was just with their 150 global leaders, teaching them about positive leadership and how great leaders lead. So what is it about? Vision and purpose. Where are we going and why are we going there? It's about the culture that drives us. It's about optimism and belief. You got to feed yourself every day in order to feed others. But it's about encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. When you encourage someone, you're putting courage into them. When you Mm -hmm. encourage yourself, you're putting courage into yourself. 
And we all need encouragement, right? We, everyone does. And so it's about how we lead with grit and resilience and mental toughness and, and faith. So positive leadership is, is a big part of, of that. You know, there's a, a movement where a lot of people are really into stoicism and, and there's some, some good applicable parts of, of, of stoicism, but I would, I would be less inclined to follow dead philosophers and more likely to follow the teachings of Jesus because that's what positive leadership is based on. Every principle I share in that book and in my keynotes and our our trainings, you know, we do a lot of full day training programs for companies, mm-hmm. half day workshops. Every principle I measured against Jesus and said, okay, is this the way he led? Did he have an impact because of this? He led with love and accountability. That's a big part of what we do. He built great relationships. We have the four C's as part of our program to build great relationships, communication, connection, commitment, and caring. So how do you build great relationships? By implementing those four C's and building trust and cohesiveness. That's what Jesus did. He built trust. Mm -hmm. Overcoming the energy vampires, a big part of positive leadership is to see the negativity that exists. And most people think that positivity is about just ignoring the problem. No, we're the ones who actually face the problem. We deal with it and we address it and we get rid of the negativity. We weed it, we feed the positivity and we create a fertile environment where now everyone could do their best work to produce amazing fruit. And you do that by building the culture, by investing in people, by encouragement, again, by being demanding, but not demeaning, by pursuing excellence, but doing it in a way with love and accountability together where you don't run people over. So these principles are the way to lead. And, and Daniel, I've been frustrated lately. Like real, I wrote an article, if you saw my newsletter, why I'm angry about positive leadership and said it's ironic that I am. But I did that on purpose because I, want, I wanted people to take notice. Like I'm sick and tired of people thinking that this is like woo-woo, fake positivity, toxic positivity, or right. a, weak, a weak way to lead. Now, this is the way Jesus led and he transformed the world with it. And so can we. So let's follow Jesus, not dead philosophers, you know, who's so who teaches again a mindset, but not ultimately a way to lead. I guess you could do both. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't attack one. You can do both. Stoicism does serve a purpose. Even for me on my journey, Buddhism served a purpose for me in meditation and learning how to, to control the mind and allowing those thoughts to, to not wreak havoc on you. But ultimately, only when I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 35 did I yeah. learn and, and, and understand what real leadership is all about. And guess what? Sacrificial love. That's what it's about. It's about selfless love, loving your team, helping them grow, mentoring mm-hmm. them, coaching them, guiding them. That's what real leadership is all about. And as you know, Daniel, it's about parenting. Like parenting and leadership are one and the same. <laughs> I always get this question in my, in my talks when I do the Q&A sessions afterwards. I get the question about parenting. I'm like, of course, because you have to be selfless if you want right. to be a good parent. You have to be so. It's not like my son is saying, hey, dad, you know, I noticed you're doing a really good job lately in your leadership, dad. I, I can tell you, <laughs> you know, when you, when you punished me the other day and held me accountable, I was like, my dad's staying strong. I was really impressed <laughs> the way you held firm with your values and beliefs, you know? You're not getting recognition as a parent. You're not getting praise, but you yeah. do it. And you love and you sacrifice and you invest and you give. And that is what great leaders do. They invest, they give, they sacrifice. And so many leaders don't do that. But to be a great one, you have to do that. And by the way, if someone just formally or 
officially believes in evolution and that's all they believe in, well, sacrificial love shouldn't exist because you should never sacrifice your life for someone else or risk your life for someone else if we are just living in an evolutionary Darwinism world. So sacrificial mm-hmm. love is proof of God. Wow, that's so great. John has given you gold today and it's all free. <laughs> hey, uh, I was last fall, I was having a conversation with a gentleman that was former CEO of a company that managed Dollywood and Silver Dollar City and some amusement parks like that. And he built his whole organizational culture around 1 Corinthians 13, around love and the attributes of love. He said, some people at face value think, oh, it creates a weak culture, but it actually created a very powerful and high producing culture. Can you talk just a little bit more? Because I think some people may be listening, especially if they're in a corporate environment going, love, what are you talking about? Love, we don't do love. We do get ahead. We do bottom dollar. We do profit. We, you know. Well, I would say football players are pretty strong and powerful, right? <laughs> yes. And when Dabo Sweeney won the national championship, he was on the national stage. He said, my one word, which is something we do with the team, my one word all year has been love. And I knew that our love for each other was going to make the difference. The Rams, mm-hmm. listen to my podcast with Sean McVay, right? Positive University, listen to Sean and I talk. Sean talked about the love that they had for each other as a team. And it's what got them to the, to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. It helped them overcome all the challenges, the close games, the setbacks. Love is strong. See, here's the deal. Love is what drives grit. We always talk about grit being the key mm. factor of success. Well, love drives grit. Because if you don't love it, you will never be great at it. It's That's the great. love that drives you to keep going. When you love someone, you don't quit on them. When you love your team, you don't give up on them. When you love your team, you will do whatever it takes. You want to see grit. You want to see love. You want to see strength. You know, see a, a child in trouble and see what a mom will do and the strength they will have to save their child. That is strength. And here's the other thing. Research shows, try to lift weights with the loving thoughts versus fear-based thoughts. And you are stronger, physically stronger with, with thoughts of love. Wow. So love is more powerful. Here's the other thing. And just from a mindset perspective, think about love. Love is unity. Love is connection. Love is oneness. Love creates oneness. That's what God is all about, oneness. Love is strength. Think about fear. What does fear do? Fear divides. Fear creates separateness. Fear creates disconnection. Fear creates weakness. So fear is weak. Love is strong. Fear appears powerful, but it's a lie. We're believing in the illusion of it. Love is what's strong. So I would say to people, you're believing in the lie and the illusion of what you've been taught. But if you see the world and you see how things really work, get rid of the veil, look at the truth, and you will see that love is what is truly strong. And then you see, again, as someone who's a Christian like me, you see the ultimate act of, of love and what Jesus did. And people saw that at the time as a sign of weakness. And now thousands of years later, we see the strength because truth shines through. So it's not always obvious at first when we see a leader lead. We might, oh, that person's weak. But over time, we start to see their results. We see their success. And then everyone wants to start leading like that person. It's why almost every NFL coach now 
they're getting rid of the older coaches who led in a dictatorial style. And now they're bringing in these young new coaches who are leading with love and accountability. Again, when you love someone, you're not going to let them settle for anything but their best. So you will be tough. That's great. You will, you will yeah. drive them because if I love you, then I'm not going to let you be average. I'm going to challenge you to be great, but love must come first. So I call it love tough instead of tough love. If your team knows you love them, mm. they will allow you to challenge them. That's so good. When we were at dinner in Colorado, you were talking about how you and Sean sat down early in his career, maybe when he first got hired for the Rams and kind of in a, in a conversation, tell me if I'm wrong in how I'm describing this, but architect in a way, the culture and what he was wanting to build there in the Rams. And that was, I think, five years ago, if I'm right. When you talk about love, what else would you add as you're architecting a culture? A big part of the culture he wanted to create was, was we, not me. Focusing mm. on the team first, not the individual. So we sat there for about five, six hours. We talked about the values, the principles, the culture he wanted to create. Nothing more special than seeing him create the culture and seeing it lead to a championship. Think about it. If they don't win, no one's talking about what he created. So the win makes yeah. people take notice. Right. But it was happening regardless. That's why I was so happy for him. Can you imagine if they lost? Then it would have been a second Super Bowl loss. Oh, the narrative would have been Sean McVay can't win a Super Bowl. He can get there, but can't win. Like, right. I, I hate when that happens, right? <laughs> My good friend, John Tillman, who I played with at Cornell University, played lacrosse with, with John. He's the head coach of Maryland. He lost five national championships, five. Oh, wow. And then he has now won two. He just won the last one. Amazing. So now he's, he's, now he's, now he's got two. All right. The narrative no longer is he can't win one, but he right. jokes that he's lost more. He jokes that he's lost more than he won. Right. <laughs> so, so the culture John wanted to create was this positive leadership, positive team culture, but very accountable, success driven. And they work hard, but I've talked to a bunch of the guys on the team, man, he, he really just builds a great culture and the way he lives it is special. They say, he develops relationships with them. He talks to them. He listens to mm. them. It's about we, not me. And the coolest thing was to see them play the 49ers. They're winning that playoff game this year. And on the sidelines, there's Odell Beckham Jr. shouting, we, not me. We, not me. Just shouting it out. We, not me. The video camera got a great clip of it. You yeah. can see that clip. I actually wrote about it. Odell Beckham Jr. was not known as the guy that says, we, not me. I started to say the, that is a big deal. A big deal because he didn't say that with the Brian, with the Browns and the Giants, right? And mm -hmm. I've always thought OBJ was actually a good teammate and I thought he got misrepresented. And now he comes to the Rams and all of a sudden he's saying it, reinforcing the culture, saying the very thing that Sean wrote down and talked about five years before. So now you see it come to life and you see wow. players shout out the principles, talk about it. That's when you know your culture is strong. And that's why culture wins championships. That's why culture wins the hearts and the minds of, of your employees and your customers. That's why culture drives everything that we do. And when you do it the right way, you see the success and how it unfolds. When you invest in the root, you get a great supply of fruit. That's so good. When you invest in the root, you get a great supply of fruit. I love that. Let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about resiliency. I think one of the first times I was introduced to 
you and your writings, you're a prolific writer, was obviously the Energy Bus, which was extremely successful. It was rejected by 30 publishers before finally being picked up. So can you talk about the journey of getting uh, this book into the hands of readers and your personal investment in making that happen? You got to have a vision and mission. So for me, it was that one person at a time. And Mm -hmm. it was that tour that kicked off everything. And then it was coming back and saying, whatever it takes, I'm just going to share the message of the energy bus, positivity, overcoming negativity, building a great team, getting your team on the bus and moving in the right direction with a shared vision, focus, and purpose. It's about loving your passengers, driving with purpose. All the essential principles are there. And I, I wrote it in three and a half weeks of, of God inspiration. Really just came to me. And Amazing. I wrote this book. Yeah, it was, I give God all the credit because every book I've written has taken about three and a half, four weeks. People often ask me if I have a, a ghostwriter. I say, no, I have a holy ghostwriter. And I'm, the, <laughs> I'm not the author, just the pen. Seriously, I didn't even know I could write a book years ago. I mean, I had no clue. And now I'm writing these fables and these ideas and they're just coming to me. So definitely God deserves all the credit. So I write this book, The Energy Bus, and I knew my job was just to talk about it and then get it out there. So every event, I would talk about The Energy Bus. I would share a talk based on the principles. I would promote the book and I wasn't afraid to promote it. Like you didn't write it to sit on a shelf. I'm Mm -hmm. here to write something and share something I think can make a difference. And the fact that it has and saved lives, even people have emailed me that they didn't commit suicide after reading the energy bus. When you hear that, wow. that keeps you, that keeps you going. Right. So yeah. that book is still my most popular book. Here we are. It's been 15 years since it's been written over 3 million copies sold now just for that book and still selling more than it did the year before, still making an impact. I mean, that tells you something right there. And so it's all about, just sharing the message, but I was willing to do it everywhere, anywhere. I did 80 free talks, 80 free talks initially to get the message out there. I still will give talks to nonprofits and charities and you name it. So uh, that's just, yeah, just part of, part of the journey, part of the mission. And yeah, now I have 26 books. (laughs) That's a lot. You know, sometimes I say that I'm like, how did I write 26 books? How did that happen? But I've written them all with me and God. Like I don't have a ghostwriter, but the, but the idea of, of doing those, of those books and sharing the message, you know, all goes back to the same thing. Like, okay, why am I here? And why should I write this book? And you got to write it because there was something to say. Painters get downloads on how to paint. Creatives get downloads on on directing and, and putting videos together. Like we all have different purposes and missions in life. That's my calling. I know it. Like I'm get downloads on what I'm supposed to write. But I know that people get downloads on everything. Like God wants to give you ideas. He wants to give you a mission. He wants you to accomplish something. How is he going to change the world? Well, through us. That's so good. I always say that when you're walking in purpose, it's not necessarily easy, but it comes with an ease. There's an ease mm, to great. it. There's a flow that's to great. it, even though it may include hard work. So the past two that's years, great. you know, worldwide, nationwide, I don't want to say unprecedented times because there's been other pandemics, but challenging times to say the least. And I was reading a New York Times article by Adam Grant and uh, he wrote it in 2021. I didn't read it till this year that said many of us are suffering from what he called the middle child of mental health, which is languishing, meaning Life isn't thriving, but I'm not necessarily in the throes of depressed. I'm kind of in this middle of like 
Man, what are some practical strategies you would give someone, a lead, maybe a leader that finds himself in that position? Um, how do you not just navigate it, but how do you overcome it? I'm still trying to think about if we are really languishing and if that's really the issue. I think there's really mm-hmm. just an, I think there's an aftershock of the pandemic and people have been exposed to so much negativity, so much fear. They have so much anxiety, uncertainty. And I think there's been sort of an aftershock where people are down, people are reeling. They have believed, mm. they have believed these outside voices that have caused them to feel a certain way. I would say pressure is basically believing the lie that something outside you can impact how you feel. And mm. Jesus said, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is inside of you. So you are more powerful than the world that you face, right? We are more powerful. Wow. We are in the world, but but not meant to be right of the world. Say and that we again, are great. John. Say that pressure is what? Is believing the lie that anything outside you can impact how you feel. That's so good. Here's the deal. It really can't. If you know who you are, know whose you are, and you know where your power lies. So I think people have just given up their power and that's why they're languishing. I, I think people have believed mm. the lie and bought into the so lie. Strong. And it's why they're down and it's why they're depressed. Well, we're speaking truth. See, if the scientists measured languishing, like Adam Grant, what they would do is they would measure how people are languishing and why they're languishing and so forth. But they're, they're measuring a lie. They're actually measuring a lie in the first place. It's like this. I was with an NBA team and I'm walking across the court and the coach and the superstar player said, hey, John, we were just wondering, what has a bigger impact on the opposing team? Home field advantage in baseball or home court advantage in basketball? What has the bigger impact? I thought for a moment, I said, neither. When you know the outside is just noise, fans, shouting, expectations, media hype, it's just noise. We don't create from the outside in, we create the world from the inside out, our spirit, our soul, our passion, our love, our joy. We create from the inside out, the power's on the inside. So the superstar player said, that's what I think. He said, 98% of the guys in the league believe in home court advantage, so it affects them. He goes, I know it isn't true, so I just go do what I do and play my game. Now, if scientists would measure home court advantage and the effects of it, they would say home court advantage causes an advantage. But we're measuring the lie that it actually has power because we Mm. believe it does. So we're actually now measuring a lie, believing that it has power when it really doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's gold. It's, so it's really strong. like, it's, it's really thought provoking. It's really, but once you see it, it's powerful. It's like a friend said to me the other day, cancel culture doesn't really exist. It only exists if we give it power. That's and so right. the more you believe, the more you believe that cancel culture is powerful or talk about it, the more credence and power you give it to where it really represents maybe 2% of the population. Mm-hmm. But it's the 98% that believe it might be, or maybe you know, 30, 50, 80% believe it's real. They're scared of it. They're scared of saying something that's going to cause them to be canceled. And so as a result of that, they now give it power and then it becomes something that is powerful. Fear really is an illusion and not meant to have any power, but it only becomes powerful because we believe in the lie of fear goes back mm-hmm. to the garden, goes back to the serpent, goes back to the father of lies and the enemy. And how does the enemy ultimately 
cause fear and anxiety and stress in us by lying to us saying, fear this, fear this, fear yeah. this. And it's, it's why Jesus taught us fear not. And it's in the Bible 366 times, fear That's not. Right. I mean, come on. So it's all right there. So we're giving power and credence to fear when we need to see it for what it is. And I've been really thinking a lot about this lately, speaking more on this. And there's yeah. a lot of power in understanding this. I gotta probably write about it. I'm gonna have to write a book in the future on it to explain explain this and share this because more than ever, people have bought into the lie. So Adam Grant, I love you. I love your work, but I'm not so <laughs> sure people, people are languishing for that reason. I love this thought you said, giving power, meaning some of the things that are overwhelming us or causing anxiety or causing us to feel stuck or not move forward or not take risk or whatever it may be is because we, we, some lie got its foothold in the scripture actually calls it a stronghold. It's, it's a house of wrong thinking. And then we feed that. We believe it. Yeah. And, and Christians, I call them Christian atheists because they act like there's no Ooh. God. They actually forget the teachings that they're meant to live by. Like, do you forget that you are supposed to be the people of faith? I'm sorry, but we have to truly remember that we are people of faith, not fear. And here you ask me a practical piece of advice on it's what so leaders strong. can do. When, when leaders are languishing, what can they do? They can choose love instead of fear because love mm. casts out fear. So remember what you love about this work. What do you love about this challenge? When I speak to athletes, I tell them, love competing. If you love competing and love the moment and you're not worried about the outcome and you're not fearful of what might happen, that love caused you to have that strength and that unity and that oneness and that power in that moment. Fear will dissipate and you will perform at a higher level when you're bringing a love mm -hmm. to what you do. It's the fear, the busyness, the stress, the negativity and the lies that have weakened you. Bring the truth back, bring power back, bring love back, and you'll overcome and you'll thrive. You shall know the truth, and that's what sets you free. I right. love it. Can we, can we add scripture that and say, and give you power? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's somewhere, you... hey, all truth's in the Bible, so you'll find it, but Paul right. really talks, and Paul really talks a lot about the power of God, you know, so we'll, we'll yeah. find it there as well. <laughs> I was starting to say you're about to start preaching a minute ago. It was so strong. I was like, I, like I, have amen, I, I was like going to amen you. <laughs> I feel like I have been preaching. And for those who are wondering, yeah, I don't know. I don't bring a lot of biblical examples when I'm speaking into the corporate world, but I know Daniel, I know where he comes from. I know what his, where his heart is. And I know again, the purpose of this podcast. So I'm combining the two together, but, yeah. but just know this is the spirit and the principles that drive me when I go speak to businesses. And it's why, and I truly believe it's why the organizations I work with have such huge success because I yeah. speak to the leaders, I share the truth with them, they share the truth, and then you see the truth in these principles cause the organization to thrive and come alive as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And and there are some people don't bring me in because they know I'm a Christian and they might hear something and, and scared of it, but, but I always say those organizations are basically denying their people and the their organization, the opportunity to thrive because they're scared of the truth. So good. All right. A few more questions. What would you say is the most critical character quality? Let's talk to young leaders must develop in today's climate to sustain long-term success. 
It's the book I wrote with Alex Demchak that came out recently called The Sale. And The Sale mm. is all about integrity. It's integrity. Integrity is about alignment. Integrity builds trust. And trust obviously leads to success. So if you don't have integrity, you will not build trust. And this is about doing things the right way for the right reasons over time. And the more you do things the right way over time, you build the trust and that integrity leads to real results and great success. So it's all about integrity. Now, I would say optimism and belief is essential as a leader, but integrity comes first. And integrity also has that root word of, of integer. And integer mm -hmm. is alignment. Integer is completion. And so there's a completeness about you. You're not divided, going back to the oneness. You're yeah. whole and there's strength in that. Also integrated. As a person with integrity, you are now integrated. So what you say and what you do are aligned. They're integrated. Your character is integrated with your habits and actions. Young people being today are being taught again that, you know, just get ahead. Look at Instagram. Yeah. You just want as many followers as you can. It's all about quick fixes. It's all about instant gratification. It's all about whatever it takes. But they have to be taught that integrity is how you build real success. And I truly believe that's my hope in my work because it took me a while for the energy bus to be a bestseller. It took me a while to to finally, you know, thrive in this work. And I I look back and it was just doing the work day in and day out, doing it the right way and building it over time. And now I'm experiencing it and I'm 51 years old. So my goal is over the next 20, 30 years, hopefully I'll live that long. I can share what that looks like and following God and doing this work and doing things the right way and say, here's an example of, of, of what you can follow. Just like Ken Blanchard was that example yeah. for me. Ken Blanchard yeah. was my mentor and hero. He taught me and showed mm -hmm. me what it, what it looked like. What a legend. My mentor yeah. tells me that um, consistency compounds. Keep doing Ooh, the I right thing that. every day and you'll eventually get the compounding interest off of living that kind of life. I love that consistency compounds and it creates culture. So the mm, more consistent yeah. we are, we create the culture and consistency is definitely underestimated. Funny story on that real quick. Yeah. Nick, Nick Saban, every day coaches have told me that they can tell at 5 p.m. they know He's going to pull out his candy bar and eat a candy bar at 5 p.m. every single day. That is the key to saving success. He is so consistent yeah. that people know what to expect. His team knows what to expect. And they may not like him at times, but they know they can trust him. And they know that they're always going to get mm. the same thing because he's so consistent. And that does build trust. And that builds winning teams. That's so great. All right. Last question, John. What do you think is the greatest threat to leaders today? And then what do you think is the greatest opportunity? I think the greatest threat is sacrificing our principles for the results that we want. So I think that mm. is a key threat, a lack of integrity. But even on top of that, negativity, there's so much pessimism. There's so much negativity. It's like seeping into everyone's pores that I think that's probably the greatest threat that we have to confront it. We have to deal with it. We have to make sure that we are addressing it and helping our teams through it. I think it's why I'm probably busier than ever because we need to help mm. people shake off what's going on, teach them these principles, yeah. help them see the truth and get them focused in the right direction. As a leader, your job is to create clarity and clarity leads to focus action. And so if you could provide the clarity and how we overcome, how we move forward, 
how we overcome the negativity. That's the key to leadership today. And the greatest opportunity is with all of this pessimism, what a great time for you to shine. Talking about That's positive right. leadership, so many aren't leading that way. Well, you will, you will stand out when you do lead this way. You will be seen as a leader who has the courage, the boldness, the integrity, the relationships to ultimately help others thrive. And that is a great opportunity to be a difference maker. Like what a great opportunity to, to be an influencer who leads in a positive way. Everyone's gonna wanna work with you because no one wants to work with the negativity, the dictatorial style, the pessimist. Yeah. They wanna work with the optimist, the one who holds them accountable and the ones that will make them better. You ask any NBA player, they wanna work with a coach that will make them better. If you can mm -hmm. make me better coach, I'm listening. If you're just gonna like talk stuff and not help me get better, I'm not gonna waste my time, but help me get better and I'm all ears. So good. This has been gold, John. I couldn't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. If you don't have John Gordon's books, you need to go out and, and pick up all of them. Just grab the whole stack. You got your summer <laughs> reading list. <laughs> I appreciate all you do. Appreciate how God is using you in the marketplace and in spaces that maybe people would never step into a church, but God's putting you there and using you in a great way to be a light. And so thanks so much for today. Hey, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yeah, I got, I got a little fired up today. I don't know why. Like it, was the, it was the spirit moving, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Was great. it.